Yo, welcome or welcome back to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. I'm your host, Chris Desmond. This is a show where we try and figure out how to get better at doing the hard stuff that makes life exciting. I've got Carl Condliffe on the show today. This episode's been a, been a long time coming. Carl is a health and PE teacher here in Wellington, New Zealand, who is super keen on using technology to create authentic and meaningful learning experiences for his students. He's a huge advocate of flipped learning and also of gamification. And we talk through a little bit of that today. He is also the director of Augmented Learning, which he has been running for coming up on four years now. And he designs, develops, and markets a variety of online learning platforms through that, uh, including my study series, which was awarded the best secondary digital resource at the 2018 Copyright Licensing New Zealand Education Awards. It's a fascinating conversation with Carl today. We go through a whole lot of different topics. We talk about failure, we talk about hard work, we talk about decision making, talk about purpose, we talk about gamification and and flip learning as well. And that's probably about enough actually. I hope you guys really enjoy this conversation that I had with Carl. Thanks so much for getting uncomfortable with us today. Carl Condliffe, welcome to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. It's been a long time coming. It has. Um, thank you for thank you for inviting me, Chris. Oh, that's all right. Thank you for letting me come and sit in your podcast studio as well. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. I love it. I mean, being a podcaster myself, I used to have to drive for every episode to school mm-hmm. and record it and drive home, and it was just a killer. And I do a lot of audio work and a lot of video work, so finally building my own office was is just a godsend. I love it. It's the perfect place to, for me to just get away and work. Mm. Even when the laundry's on? Uh, well, I've had a couple of podcast interviews where I've come in and my wife has put the washing on. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? So, uh, no, you can just push a button, turn it off. It's yeah. all good. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, Carl, tell us a little bit about your about your background. Where were you born? Where did you grow up? Uh, I was born in Auckland and, and grew up in Auckland uh, until I was about 12, 12 years old. Um, central Auckland. And when I was about 12, my, you might not know the story actually, no, my, um, my middle brother was run over in the driveway. So um, that was a pretty challenging time. And because of that and because of the specialists that were around at the time, um, there were many more, um, well there were more or better specialists in Wellington. So we ended up uprooting and moving to Wellington. Um, leaving Auckland and moving to Wellington to support my brother. Um, so my dad came down first and he, he picked up a job and we waited until everything was kind of, he'd found a house and stuff like that. So we moved down. Um, and yeah, so then we picked up in Wellington and, and we've been here ever since. Yeah. Yeah. How's your brother doing? He's good. He's he's really good. He's, he's done well for himself. He, he had to learn to, he was a year and a half old. He had to learn to walk again. Yeah. He had to learn to talk again. Um, he has some... Um, He's deaf in one ear and um, maybe some minor social um, issues around communicating with people and stuff like that, uh, but nothing serious. And he he's got you know he's got three kids now and he's he's got a job. He's he's doing really well. Yeah, cool man, cool. Um, what other things from from when you were younger have shaped you in the direction that your life's taken? 
probably the biggest um, the biggest factor or or thing that has shaped the direction of my life has probably been my involvement in sport um, and that was from a very young age uh, and I was never very good at the sports that I played I played basketball as a really young kid and was never any good at that and I did track and field and I was never any good at that but for some reason um, I really really liked track and field in particular high jump and I remember just being completely average at it for years and years and years but I had this passion for it um, so keep pushing along keep pushing keep trying keep putting in the effort um, and I eventually got quite quite good at it um, I ended up through secondary school winning two national titles um, as a junior and as a senior um, and being an individual sport was really interesting because you can only rely on yourself, you can't rely on anybody else, you have to do all your own training. Uh, I was self-taught, self-coached, I never really had a coach until later on in my career. Um, and being a sport like high jump, it's really, uh, well, we, I think we talked about this on, on your episode, yeah, yeah, we it's did. an event where you, you the bar always beats you, so it has this big, um, in terms of mindset, always been beaten, so it was something that keep me driving, keep me wanting to improve and develop and, and get better. Um, I also played basketball at a reasonably high level eventually, um, played age grade stuff in New Zealand. Um, and so those experiences really uh, shaped, I guess, in terms of the way um, you work with a team, the way you um, set your goals, the way you're motivated to succeed and, and be the best that you possibly can. And that has had a lot of flow on effect into um, my work life, my family, um, my business and things like that it's really uh, helped me be disciplined and focused I guess mm. so one of the themes that I'm hearing with that is that you started doing things and even though you weren't great at them to begin with there was the there was a passion for them there was the for some reason you you loved them they were they were things that excited you and then over time that that love for them allowed you to persist with it and just keep putting in the time keep putting in the effort and slowly bit by bit you just got better and better at them because you put in so much work yep that's exactly it and a lot of the the stuff i do now i talk about um in terms of motivation there's this theory called the self-determination theory and and two components of that um are the idea of having in terms of what motivates us internally there's autonomy we want autonomy everybody wants autonomy in what they do and one mm. of the other factors there's three of them but the, the one that has probably impacted me the most throughout life is this idea of mastery and being good at things and being competent at things and i remember i didn't have any brothers until i was you know 10 years old so i, I recall i have memories before they were born being a solo kid by yourself no mates quite often you know you're at home chilling by yourself um, and I'd strap on some rollerblades and I'd just race around the block and I'd tie myself and I'd try mm. to beat it and I'd try to beat it and I'd do this for weeks and weeks and weeks and it was just this this drive to just become better and better and better and again that's something that's that specific idea of mastery um, has served me well in my time as a gamer as well where, where I played a lot of video games and traveled the world competing competitively um, this you know it would be a racing game and you just play this track over and over again where most people get really really bored and it was something I excelled at because I just had this deep desire to master whatever it was I was doing so everything I do I tend to only pick up things and try to do things of um, I guess not of I'm going to be the best but 
it has to be something that I'm going to become competent at. Like if I pick up something and I know I don't enjoy it and I'm horrible at it, I'll just put it away and I won't do that. But something where I, I might show a little bit of um, promise early on, I, that gets me really hooked to keep pushing and keep trying and getting better and better and better. Mm. And that's in the, everything I do now is really does operate like that. Well, how is this working? How can I get better? How can I improve? How can I see better results? Yeah. And do you have a... Going down a little bit of a rabbit hole here, but it's super interesting. Do you have a framework that you use to assess things at that point, or are you just kind of they're just questions that you ask yourself? No, no, no framework really. And the the best description I could have of how it works for me was probably the way I learned how to snowboard. Um, um, I'm not a very I'm not super competent at snowboarding, but I can snowboard and I can hold my own. But when I learned how to snowboard. Um, I was with people who were really good and I didn't want to hold them back so I thought well, I'll just go to the top of the mountain and I'll go down and see what happens you go down and you fall over and you get back up and you go okay well what happened why did I fall over okay I, I caught an edge well why did I catch an edge because so I lost balance I put too much weight here okay up you get let's try again and you go again and, and the same thing happens you fall over and it's like okay well what happened this time and you try to learn from your mistakes and learn from your failings and then you're able to get up and you eventually get better to the point where you can do something competently and that if, if I was to say do I have a framework that would be my framework mm. so do it fail uh, evaluate and reflect on what happened and then try to improve it next time yeah and we I mean we had a big conversation on your podcast about failure and uh, trying to learn how to get better at doing it at if, it, if it's something that doesn't come naturally to, to us. So you've always been okay with failure from a, a reasonably young age with with working on the stuff that you do? It's never bothered me. I, I, I cannot recall going a memory of an incident where I failed and went, oh man, that sucks. And mm. you know, this is, you know, I can't, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. I, it was just, I didn't achieve what I wanted to achieve how can I do it better next time because that feeling wasn't great but I'm not going to dwell on it and let that um, shape that entire experience in a negative mindset um, how do you flip it and turn it into something positive mm, yeah and I think I mean we get so wrapped up in the concept of failure and how that reflects on us as a person whereas actually these these failures and parentheses are just they're just data points mm-hmm. along the journey of stuff that we're trying to do that we haven't yet mastered um, and actually it doesn't it doesn't actually reflect on our inherent um, worth as a person no it doesn't not at all and you know people dwell on well what's a consequence going to be from that failure and if you really dig dig deep and think about what's the worst thing that can happen it they're actually not that bad and in a year's time five years time you're not even going to remember that so um failing or being concerned about failure is not something that's really bothered me Mm. and i think like i've been thinking about ever since we had that conversation about high jump as well is that that's a really fascinating sport because you know at some point you're going to lose against the bar you might jump higher than everyone else but mm. the bar is always going to beat you which is there's not many other sports out there that have that definitive yep you're done yep. You're, you've had enough today no you're right um when were you because how old are you how old am i yeah. 38 38 yeah okay so i'm 36 so you 
probably was at some of the national secondary school athletics that you were that you were there. You in Hamilton? No, I, I didn't finished? do Hamilton. Did you do Wellington? Wellington, I did yeah. Wellington. Okay. Wellington was interesting because I had won the year before as a year twelve, and mm. I, I came out all arrogant and yeah. cocky and didn't perform. Yeah. So I didn't I didn't win a title in my or medal in my final year of school, but um, it's just part of the journey, I guess. Yeah, it is. It is. Wellington was a. I had a fun fun time in Wellington. Eh? It was a time that I ran my fastest 400 metres. How fast was that? Uh, it was about 52 seconds. That's good. Um, That's I good. threw up in the middle of the track afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, it was it was good. It was good. Yeah. I was about 15 at the time, and then it was all downhill from there. Yeah, classic. Did you, so with your with your athletic endeavours, so you'd got to a point where you were, you were pretty competent at them by the end of high school. Once you left high school, did you keep pursuing them, or was that something that you let go at that stage? No, I did it for about another four years. Um, I, I, I was a bit of a bum at school. I didn't do anything at school. I was there for sport, and that's it, which mm. is quite ironic to where I find myself at the moment. <laughs> um, so I went to Dunedin, because that's all I could do, or some bum certificate course at the Institute of Sport, and went down there, and the whole premise of that was really to develop my high jumping. Uh, and it was too cold to high jump down there, so I lasted a year. Um, and I'd also just met my uh, girlfriend, who's now my my wife, uh, and she was studying in Auckland doing physiotherapy. So I decided to go to Hamilton to do a degree in exercise science because it's funny when you start doing things you enjoy, they get really easy. So mm. I'd gone from school to uh, tertiary education in a in a subject that I enjoyed and could learn really easy. Uh, so I started my degree in Hamilton um, and carried on with my high jumping and, and, and building um, my capacity there and, and I got better and better but it got to the point where uh, to really step up and go to the next level you had to hit a certain height and I was confidently clearing 205 which was what my, my career PB is uh, I, I guess um, and there was one event where I I attempted 211 uh, and if I cleared 211 that would have opened up uh, a whole lot of support but I didn't mm. um, and so that support never came and I eventually gave it up um, but you look at my physique really at my height I needed to be a 60 kilo athlete yeah um, you're not built like a high jump no no not anymore and that was part of that was because I'd spent my whole life trying to be slim but being yeah. a, being six foot tall you really need to be a 60 kilo athlete and I was around about 73 um, so I was, I was a slow power jumper is what they're, they're called as opposed to a speed jumper and now I, you know I sit at close to 100 peaked at 115 that's the heaviest I've been but yeah that whole career spent trying to be skinny when I finished I decided to try to go the other direction and see how muscly I could get yeah which has um, been the last sort of 15 years of my life is really spending time in the gym it's so interesting times but yeah so being on that kind of uh, point where I needed to hit a certain height or not and then that really determined the next path of, of my life really mm. and, and it was retiring if you want, if you can call it that I don't know if you can being a, a, a casual athlete but <laughs> retiring from athletics yeah. and um, picked up other things yeah were you a little bit gutted at that at that point like do you remember being disappointed around not not hitting that no because you know I, I started my degree in exercise science thinking okay this is if anything's going to get me to the olympics which is what my goal was this is this is going to be it i'll learn about the body i'll learn about performance mm. and training and 
uh, it was very apparent straight away that the only way I was going to have any shot at doing that was to dope. Mm. And that's something that didn't fancy me. Um, but, you know, and, and some people some people might think I'm a little bit cynical or um, don't agree with, with this, but most high-level athletes at the Olympics, I believe, are doping. Um, and I just wasn't prepared to, to take that step. Um, you know, and that's hard because we have some amazing athletes in New Zealand and I don't want to go on and say, oh, yeah, he's definitely doping or she's mm. doping um, because we... No, it's, it's a kind of a hard topic, eh? Because we have this, you know, we have this number eight Y mentality where we just get things done and you'd like to think that we're all clean athletes and a lot of our athletes would be, but it's just hard when you hear about, you know, just the other day, did you hear Russia had been banned from all global sport, which is, that's amazing, mm. just because of the the, the doping and the, the state-level doping that they had going on. But it's out there and there are more and more athletes being caught doing it. Um, so I realised very early that... Uh, I wasn't going to get there. So when that time came to go, okay, it's time to step down, um, I, I can't really perform any better than what I'm doing. It wasn't too much of a concern for me. Mm. I want to loop back around to, to something that you talked about just before, um, is when you when you started studying about exercise and exercise science, that it was like something switched for you in terms of your maybe your passion or your ability to learn a topic do you remember what like what changed for you then did you suddenly just start to get excited about learning or was it a different uh, a different way of learning probably the, f- the fact that I could all of a sudden retain some things mm. um, I, I in primary school I was a good student intermediate I was good third form I was good but you know after that it was all downhill for me and you know I think what it came down to was and and I actually gave a keynote where I talked about this recently was that you know I was probably at the time a modern learner um, learning in traditional environments and that wasn't exciting for me Um, you know I had a passion for learning but it probably wasn't realized um, by the environment that I found myself in. And the, the environment we see kids in these days is a lot different. Um, they're much more connected. They have access to technology. Um, the things they do and the subjects they're, they're learning about are so much more fun than what we were doing back in when I was at school and when you were at school. So it was quite boring. It was quite traditional. Um, but I, I did have this, as I know now, when it comes to the things I try to pick up, I had this passion for learning. But it wasn't probably until I was in tertiary education where they were framing things differently and uh, the learning was, uh, I guess, opportunities to explore different concepts in more depth and go wider and in more breadth that I started going, wow, this is really fascinating. I'm not stuck in this really prohibitive curriculum that says I have to learn this and this I was able to go well I'll do some research down here I'm gonna go do this and see what happens here and see what happens if I can apply this in my own life Um, so that made it exciting and it I guess really set me on my path of education and learning and um, shaping uh, where I've taken my life since. Mm. And it's really cool to to hear as well is that I mean, some people are, are lucky in that they just go through and 
continue to learn their whole life. But I mean, I was a, I was a pretty decent student all the way through school, and uh, and then went to university. And I think, and by the time I got to the end of university, I was maybe just a little bit burnt out with that structured learning model, um, and just sat back and was like, mm, no, nah, that's I've had enough of that for the moment, um, which didn't really serve me that well because that's something that I overall really really enjoy so it wasn't until I went back to uni and did a did a master's that it sort of reinvigorated my excitement for learning and again it might have been that um, like it was very traditional learning when we went through when we went through school and I was I was good at that I could retain the information for the tests um, and then going in and doing physiotherapy as well there's like there's a lot of rote learning in terms of the anatomy and the, the pathology and things that you need to know um, <clears throat> and then you're always looking for a, a yes or no answer in regards to diagnosis and treatment for people and I think when I went back and, and did some management study as well is that it's it's not black and white it's just everything is completely gray and that really sort of sparked my excitement around learning again which is it's fascinating and like I I'll sit down and just read articles and like scientific articles now just out of interest and like that's that's pretty cool concept how do we how do we develop that how do you apply that um, and I think obviously you you work in education now and if so this is a really long-winded way to get to this question, <laughs> but if people have maybe lost uh, a little bit of uh, excitement around around learning, is there a way to kind of spark the curiosity that you that you see work well for people to get back into into learning? And I mean, most people that listen to podcasts do have some spark of curiosity already, um, so maybe it's not for the people that are listening now but for people around them I, I think you have to be curious about something you you have to want to learn something you have to be excited by something and I think everybody has something they're excited about um, you often hear people say yeah I want to start a business and mm. and the common response is well what are you good at and people struggle to come up with something that they're good at but there is something there and when you talk about what are you passionate about what are you curious about everybody will have something they might not know it straight away but there's things that interest them and the good thing about society now and and the future of education is that you don't need a ticket to be able to teach something so we are so connected now and we have youtube and and facebook groups and and there are experts all over the world who have the capability to teach you a skill and you can learn that skill often more thoroughly than if you went to university to learn about that profession or that skill or that that job that you might be interested in so it's if you can find what you're passionate about and what you're curious about you will find somebody who is an expert in that and that person uh, whether it's in a book whether it's in a podcast whether it is in a youtube video there'll be somebody out there that can teach you that skill and i i would really recommend following up on that and just put that work into practice listen to the videos watch the videos see what they suggest to do um, and keep building your knowledge around that um, when i started training to put on mass i had a lot of kids would come up to me and go well, how do i how do i get as big as you and i explained to them well i had a passion for putting on 
muscle and go into the gym so i read every single book i could find i just read i didn't stop reading every night i'd go home and sit at the laptop and read and read about everything related to that and and that helped me learn and understand what was happening in my body and and how to improve and and develop my ability to lift weights and grow muscle and put on size and the nutrition and the training regimes and and everything like that and there's this really good um video clip from was in the collodion awards it was will smith and he talks about the keys to life and there's two keys to life and he explains it because obviously it's a very young audience that he's that he's preaching to here but he says there's two keys to life first one is running because when you run and you go outside and go for a run you get this little voice in your head that's like saying no stop you know slow down walk it's too hard i'm sore i can't hack it and so he says if you can overcome that little voice in your head you can overcome anything um but the the second key to life he says is is reading because there is nothing that you can experience in life that hasn't been experienced by somebody else before and written about in a book so if you have a problem or you have something you want to learn there's somebody out there has put it into a book or a video or has a website about it um, that you can learn from and I, I thought that was really fascinating and a nice kind of angle into that whole idea of um, how to be successful how to improve and get better at the things that we do mm, definitely yeah that's words to live by eh? yeah. how much running do you do <laughs> <laughs> Zero, zero. Yeah. I was, I was gonna say, like the the athletic endeavors that you follow, though, are um that that same little voice kind of pops up whether it's you're lifting weights or uh, you're doing some yoga or or yep. anything. It's like you yeah, get to does. that point where things just get hard. And yep. Like you should stop now. Yeah. And like there's there's one thing that I usually kind of say to myself at that point in time, and it's a little bit clunky, um, but your body's willing you've just got to convince the mind mm. that it can keep going mm. um i don't know if you've ever come across david goggins yeah yeah i mean his his whole thing is like when you think you're done you're only 40 percent of the way there mm-hmm. and we're pretty uh we're pretty impressive uh, machines so uh, in terms of what we can what we can actually do and, and how much we limit ourselves yeah. and hold ourselves back um I want to I want to flip things around a little bit, and I want to talk to you about starting off a business, because um, you'd been you'd been teaching for a little while. Do you want to do you want to just set the scene for us in terms of the point you realised that here was a here was a gap and here was something that I wanted to wanted to do with your business. Well, I never, I never realised that myself. It was pointed out to me by somebody okay. else. Um, so I, I started teaching in two thousand and five, uh, and my background, my passion for technology and video games, um, which is a whole other side story we go into, but we won't, um, really had me fascinated about the implications or, or leveraging some of that technology in the classroom. Uh, and about my third or fourth year of teaching I was starting to get well, maybe a bit longer maybe I was six years and I started to get a little bit stale in what I was what I was doing uh, so I stumbled across a TED talk by a guy called Sal Khan um, and he founded the Khan Academy which um, some of you might have heard of it's basically an online learning platform um, where people create videos and you watch them in your own time and I was all of a sudden in my head I was like man this is this is amazing this is exactly 
the, the issue with learning and, and education is that we have this traditional approach where somebody stands at the front of the classroom and, and disseminates the knowledge and they're the holder of all the knowledge and that just seems backwards to me because um, we then send them home and say well here's your homework and you go do it by yourself with, without the support of your peers or your mm. teacher um, and it just seemed wrong to me uh, and he after I dug a little bit deeper I found a book by a guy called um, John Bergman and Aaron Sams and that was called Flip Your Classroom Reach Every Student in Every Classroom and Every Day and the premise of a flipped approach is basically you create content for your students for them to consume at home so that when they've consumed that content and they have that knowledge when they come into the classroom the learning is more active and more meaningful uh, and better for them because you've removed this whole idea of understanding and remembering which is what a lot of education is and probably when you're at school was all understanding and remembering well that's not going to create a good learner it's it's the um it's the evaluating it's the creating it's the analyzing what sits at the top of bloom's taxonomy which is really going to create uh, meaningful learning opportunities for your students so I went down this path of going okay I'm gonna jump into this I'm gonna create video content and give it to my kids and I very quickly uh, gained authority in this area of flip learning and uh, started being asked to speak at conferences around this concept um, all my videos were all over the internet I was getting a nice little check from YouTube every three months for a hundred bucks because of the advertising I stuck in there so um, it, it was it was fun times um, and that just carried on and there was this ethos around flip learning that you make it available for everybody and that was cool and I had no problem with that especially when teaching is quite personal um, and a lot of people are, are scared to share that but I, I didn't bother me um, and I saw positive results and good outcomes for my students doing that um, so I continued to build that authority and then one day I hosted a teacher from Australia he ran a workshop uh, at our school and so he would travel the world running workshops around using technology and PE and it just so happened that you know just in passing I said hey what are you doing tonight let's go grab dinner because he was quite a well-known educator um, and it was quite I felt quite lucky to go and have a meal with him it was quite cool and, and we sat down and he said right look I know all about you, I know what you do, it's about time we monetize what you're doing. And I went, whoa, <laughs> hang on here, no, this is, we, we don't, I don't do this to make money. It's not about making money. But then when I think about my experiences leading up to this point, um, I had been really curious, I had explored lots of different things and I had, I had, I had an obsession, I guess, where if I, I felt if I put my mind to anything, I could achieve anything. And that was kind of how my life had gone up until that point. Um, you know, high jump, I wanted the best. You know, mm. national title, basketball, I wanted to be the best. You know, I made some rep teams. Uh, I, I wanted to make the Olympics. I came really close in the New Zealand bobsleigh team. Um, I played video games, traveling the world. I, all these things that I could put my mind to, I could achieve. Um, and a good skill I have is um, I can recreate um, most things you see digitally I can find a way online to recreate images and stuff like that I, that's just the knack that I have and that comes down to if I put my mind to it I can achieve it but the one thing I couldn't do was make money and I thought there's got to be a way to make money there has to be a way but I was looking at it all wrong which I'll get to in a sec but he said look if you do this this and this over the next week um, you'll, you'll really put yourself in a position excuse me to, to do something with this uh, so I listened to what he said because what he was saying kind of made sense and it was 
basically um, I had to do a couple of things which was probably his way of screening me in terms of being able to support me because he eventually became my mentor um, but I did these things and I was like wow it's 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 that easy and you know I I registered a company I um, set up my email list I created a landing page with his support um, and basically created one video and what I, what I realized after I started doing this was I was looking at it all wrong it wasn't about trying to make money it was about solving a problem uh, and the problem that I was going to attempt to solve was that there's a lack of support for our learners uh, inside and outside of the classroom there's a lack of support for teachers to access a really targeted content for their students so not only could they create a flipped learning environment with my support but they could also support their students inside and outside of the classroom a little bit better so what I ended up doing was I made one video and I sent it to 300 HODs across New Zealand and I said uh, here's this video you pay me $899 now uh, and in six months time you'll have access to a library of 200 300 videos that will have um, they'll be targeted to every achievement standard in the curriculum they will have automated cuisine there'll be data that you can access and all of these things and I was making it up I didn't know whether I could do this and uh, and I hit send and then uh, within the space of a week I had 20 schools had paid me $900 and shit got real then I was like oh my gosh what have I and I'm you know ringing up my mentor going what's the next step and he's like oh you got to get building now uh, so over the space of six months um, you know, I'd come home from my nine to five I had a one-year-old at the time and I'd spend time with the family and at 7 7 7 p.m. I'd sit down at the kitchen table with my laptop and I'd create content until about two in the morning and I did that for six months solid never took a day off learned about um, WordPress learned about e-learning options, WordPress plugins, um, online marketing, uh, email uh, automations and all of these things that helped me create this um, rich learning platform that uh, I would sell access to schools and since then we've had you know close to 300 different schools subscribe at some point or another we've had over 30,000 students come through and access the platform um, and it's something I'm really proud of. It's something that I built from the ground up by myself. I made it all myself. I taught everything that I learned uh, to implement it myself. Um, and it was just fascinating, those six months, that journey of learning. And I was really fortunate that that initial validation, uh, which brought in the capital required to go ahead and build what I was doing, even though I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I was very fortunate to first of all have my mentor to help me do that. His name's Jared Robinson. Um, but just creating something that out of nothing that you can sell to another person is it's an amazing feeling. Uh, but for those six months, it was really, really hard. Mm. What was the what was the hardest thing about it? Not knowing what the next. Okay, well I've made all these videos now. What? Well, I need to go and learn another, something else. I need to learn another skill. Um, and I had no marketing experience, no sales experience. Um, selling to my peers was challenging. That was really hard. Um, and even now, I still battle with that. Uh, we have, that was in a PE uh, learning area. We now sell to maths, mathematics and science and health. Um, when I'm selling to mathematicians, I don't have a problem with it because they're, they're not my peers. Um, 
so it's a little bit easier but still you know when you're talking to people who have been your friends for years and you say okay well it's going to cost you a thousand bucks that can be a challenging conversation mm. how do you how do you wrap your head around that um, in terms of kind of value propositions and in trying to sell something because it is it's hard especially coming from a background like you have where you're an, you're an educator so you're not selling things well you're selling ideas to kids on a day to day basis but you, it doesn't have a monetary value associated with it yeah I, I mean I read a lot I read a lot of books in that time um, listen to a lot of podcasts Pat Flynn his podcast was, was really really good uh, helped me solve a lot of the problems that I was having um, but most most of what I was doing really came down to just executing and, and being passionate about what I was doing and just operating at a level um, that no one else was because when I was doing that work and I was creating that content it was very easy for people to see what the outcomes were and what I was providing the solution that I was providing so just by getting stuck in and doing it and leveraging that authority that I'd already built um, people tended to appreciate that hard work and they could see that there was a, a product at the end um, and I think that that made the whole process easier but in terms of you know value proposition and the solution that you're providing I, I still am still trying to verbalize that uh, in a way that is easier for my potential um, customers I guess to understand and I'm, re- I'm working with this book at the moment uh, building a story brand by Donald Miller mm. um, and that's that's quite that's quite good in terms of helping you um, what is the story what are you selling what is your story and he talks a lot about um, the mo- movies and how there's this narrative but there's there's always it's a formula every movie is a formula and it's about recreating that formula with your product or your service or what you do and when you can verbalize that and send a message and build a story and paint a picture for your potential customers it's a lot easier for them to see how you can support them Mm. yeah and i think one of the one of the cool things that you mentioned there was just the amount of action that you were taking at the time as well as that there's always the next step and always the next thing that you're doing and sometimes when you uh when you are a little bit uncertain and you're you're holding yourself back from from moving forward actually action is the best thing that you can do because it stops a layer of superfluous worry that you worry about the important yeah it was it was good hey (laughs) Uh, i don't know where that one came from um you can use that with your class if you want (laughs) but it uh yeah it takes away that that worry just about the little stuff like you still worry about the important things um but if you know, hey, this is the this is the next thing that I need to do, or this is the next thing, this is the direction that I need to go and learn it, then you stop ruminating about the what ifs and the the potential uh, potential failures mm. uh, that that often do hold us back. Um, I mean, there's there's problems when you just get wrapped up with busy stuff. But it's product, if it's productive action, I think that, that really can reduce that level of, of anxiety about some of the hard stuff that you need to do. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, I, I I spend a lot of time thinking about things because obviously I, I, I wear so many hats. Um, but as long as I'm 
creating you know action points for me out of those things um, and getting those things out of my head um, because I think it's really important when you when you're wearing all these hats and you're trying to execute on all sorts of different things it's very hard to be present and I think it's really important to be present um, so that took a little bit of practice to kind of find um, a framework for me that worked where I could just get all of that all of those thoughts out of my head into somewhere into some meaningful uh, I guess organized platform so that I can action all of those different tasks and I still often I'll be sitting there and my wife will say you're thinking about something you know you need to sort that out because I just won't be present and I think when you've got a young family that's really important to be present Mm -hmm. especially to support the people that are close to you your kids as they're growing and experiencing different things and your wife as she's going through all of this as well you know supporting a young family Um, so being present is important but just need to be executing all the time and taking action so finding a way to manage that is important mm. I think so what do you use to like what tools do you use to do that just use a journal just use a journal um, I'm trying to remember the book where I got this approach uh, might have been Charles Do Duhigg maybe it was deep, or was it Deep Work I can't, I can't recall but basically uh, a way where you have to just get everything out of your head into a system and that system needs to prioritize the things that need to get done mm. um, and if you can do that successfully then it just allows you to operate at another level and be present mm. yeah cool cool and I mean the the one that I'm kind of working on at the moment is is like using an Eisenhower matrix um, it's that urgent versus important yep. where you have those you've got four different areas um, of things that are urgent on one axis and important on the other so you end up with the urgent important things the non-urgent important things the urgent non-important things and the non-urgent not important things and just I find that writing down everything I have and putting it in one of those one of those slots and then you can just you can visualize oh this is this is what I've got to do and it's about obviously doing the things that are urgent and important first yep um, remembering that you've got non-urgent important things to do and then trying to get rid of the other stuff that's yeah. not important and yeah. that was this framework that the system that I was using was similar it was a traffic light system mm. um, green, yellow, red it was work on the green um, delegate the orange or amber or whatever you call it and get rid of the red because they don't, they don't serve you mm. yeah and then, then I think actually it's it's about for me it's about scheduling that stuff once I've given it um, because I another thing that I'm working on at the moment is saying no mm. to stuff as well because I'm, I'm very much a, a yes person uh, and if I don't put things in a diary or one of my many diaries that I have with the different hats that I wear then I'll say yes to things and all of a sudden I've got three weeks worth of work that I need to fit into a week and a half half and the stress levels just start to start to rise up from there I'm an advocate for being a yes man though Mm. when I mean because I think about your journey and how you're going into this space where you know you've had your podcast and now you're moving into your workshops and stuff like that and I think anything related to that you need to be a yes man definitely um, but then some of the other stuff is, is being able to say no. Um, Definitely. And I think it's, yeah, it, that, that 
uh, important versus non-important thing is, is a nice way for me to filter that, that if there's something that's coming in that's an important one, whether that's urgent or not urgent, then, then it's a definite yes. If it's not important, then actually stopping to think about it and, and seeing, hey, is this going to is this going to push something forward for mm. me? Um, whether that may be even just building a relationship with someone that I want to build a relationship with, um, then it's a, then it could be a yes, um, but also it could be a no. It's not just picking something up for the sake of picking up and trying to please someone else. Sure. Mm. You're obviously a wee way into your journey at the moment, Carl. Uh, what's the what's the most challenging thing for you currently? Uh, the most challenging thing for me at the moment is is probably just getting a bit of direction about where I want to head in my life. Um, I pump a lot of time into my business. I also pump a lot of time into my nine to five. Pump a lot of time into my family. And I, I'm, I'm probably standing on a precipice at the moment going, well, what's my next step? Is it, you know, I establish my business to it's at a point where it can take over and that can be my, my full-time gig? Or do I come to the understanding that a lot of the work I do is can be quite passive and I can have other people do it and I can maintain my nine to five, which is something I'm passionate about teaching, I'm really passionate about. Um, and the role I'm in at the moment um, gives me a fairly significant time release and pay rise. It's a role I've picked up in the last six months. And that role really does uh, lead you down a path of potential senior leadership at the end of it when that role finishes. And, you know, it's thinking about whether that's something I want to do as well. It's something I've thought about for a long time and it's something I was seriously considering before I started my company. So I guess for me it's deciding my future and where I'm going to go and where I'm going to take this all um, because I'm probably what you would call um, a, a patch quilt entrepreneur. I, I do a lot of things. I do web design, I do e-learning, I do video editing, I do gamification uh, and I work with clients from all over the world and, and they're just coming you know, left, right and centre and there's a, there's a good mix of um, different jobs that I'm doing to support all of these people around the world. Uh, but it is a bit fragmented, um, and it's deciding well what is what is my niche, and probably is that e-learning component, um, which is where I see a lot of most of my success, and where I can probably offer the most support to, to people. So yeah, weighing up, am I gonna, mm-hmm. how am I gonna manage the next five years? Yeah. I guess. And is that part the most fun for you as well? Uh. The most fun thing for me really is creating, mm. building, um, designing. The, that's that's the fun stuff, and that's a problem I have with all the the tasks and the hats I wear. Is I've got a do I want to edit a podcast or do I want to build a new landing page? I'm like, man, I'll build a new landing page and see what mm. I can come up with. Um, so I often get caught up um, focusing on the wrong things. You know, you talked before about prioritizing um i could probably do that a little bit better but yeah definitely creating is is the most fun thing for me mm. Mm. yeah i think that's a that's an important thing when you're thinking about any next step is like actually what what is the enjoyable parts of it as well what do i want to hang on to 
with this and whether that's the thing that's going to push things forward the fastest yeah it's an interesting it's an interesting thought process to go through and there's no right answer with with any of that stuff as well but i think it's always a for me i'm understanding that it's it's probably an important factor in my decision making process too it's like is this going to be a bit of fun too yeah yeah and it's it's kind of like the Pareto principle the 80 20 rule where Mm. you know 20% 20% of the things of everything you do is probably giving you the most pleasure or making you the most money or all of those sorts of things. So it's understanding, well, what's your 20%? Where are you getting the most enjoyment or what's working the most for you and doubling down on those things and forgetting about the rest or delegating the rest? Mm, definitely. I think that's probably an interesting... That'd be an interesting point just to kind of tie things off at the moment is that is that decision that we're we're leaving you with um but got a couple of quick questions i'd like to ask everyone towards the end you've you've heard these before Mm -hmm. i didn't i didn't prep you though uh what was the last uncomfortable thing that you did and how did you get through it i actually got i've got two things i hope we haven't gone too long but i I want to share two things the first the first thing was um i did a keynote a couple of weeks ago um and when I public speak, it's generally around concepts that I know really, really well. And I haven't really jumped into more of a keynote approach where you um, just can really take it any, anywhere you want. So I, I was quite nervous about that. And to, on top of it, it was a paid gig. And the teachers tend not to get paid gigs. Um, but it, it this comes with some of the authority I have in the space around the work that I've done. So I'm very, very fortunate to be offered a paid gig. Um, but this whole idea of just standing up and speaking around a topic um, that I wasn't necessarily um, comfortable or confident with. And it was with a school who were doing some fascinating work around um, integrating technology into everything they do. And they had gone down a, a journey where they had gone from very little capability there to being really confident using technology. Um, so I ended up describing, um, it, was a, it was a short keynote, but it was around the profile of a modern learner versus the profile of a traditional learner and how that shapes the way we approach learning. Um, and I was well out of my comfort zone. And then as well as being a paid gig, I also had to do it I do three workshops repeated so across the day I did six I did two keynotes and four workshops uh, so there was a lot of challenge there and I think what was something I struggle with a lot is this whole idea of imposter syndrome and feeling like a fraud uh, and I, I don't know why I, I have this issue um, but I often feel because that knowledge that I you know where I'm in where I would consider myself an expert because that comes easy to me, um, then it's not very valuable because it was easy to learn. I, I understand it well. But for other people, that's like, wow, blows their mind. So I think that's my biggest issue there. But that was probably the first um, most recent thing that I've gotten really uncomfortable. But it ended up going really well. I was quite happy with it. I got some good questions, got some good feedback. Um, came away with some things I could clean up a little bit within that. Um, so that was good. But the second thing I did recently um, was my wife is a big crossfitter. She's a really good crossfitter, and she she's entered us. Pretty good too. Yeah, well, she's she's almost an RX athlete. She's she's getting really close. She just needs to do one or two more movements. 
Um, so she's a, a high intermediate athlete. And she entered us in a beginning intermediate competition. And um, I, I have very little capacity to do anything over 10 seconds long because <laughs> I, I lift weights, I lift heavy weights, that's all I do. Um, so she entered this and, and I thought it was a really nice way to acknowledge the work that she does and show support of her to, to do it with her. I did zero training um, except for double unders because we knew double unders were going to be in there and we rocked up to this first workout and uh, I just got destroyed. <laughs> it was like nothing I've ever done before. I was heaving, I was lying down afterwards. It was... 20 double unders, 20 wall balls, 20 double unders, 15 wall balls, 20 double unders, 10, 5, um, and then 15 synchro burpees. Uh, and did 20 burpee, uh, 20 uh, double unders on the first uh, first set, unbroken. I was like, this is going to be easy. And then I got <laughs> gassed. And uh, I we did horribly in that first event. I think we came 26th in the event out of... Out of um, 56 teams but it was just this whole like you talked about David Goggins and well what's your capability here what's you know mm. where you're at 40% 50% or I felt like I was at 120% but we came away and we prepped for the next event and then that ended up going really well and it was just this whole I, I, I guess it was a mind a mindset thing where I was going I'm really uncomfortable and scared um, I decided well I'm just going to give it my best 120% every single time and we um, next few events I think we had uh, we had a second we had two thirds an eighth and a fifth maybe no an eighth and we finished up fifth in the competition which was which was really good I was really stoked with that my wife was really happy Jess was happy um, but just going into that going man I just cannot do this I'm going to let it down um, not going to be any good um, but uh, ended up being alright don't know what I was worrying about. Next year I might train for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Interesting, interesting. And maybe a little bit of imposter syndrome there as well. Oh, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do? And why is that uncomfortable for you? Uh, next uncomfortable thing I'm going to do is probably, we've already touched on this a little bit, is, is make some firm decisions about what the next five years are going to look like for me. Um, I, I think it's something I need to do. I can't just keep going trying to execute everywhere mm. uh, because that's going to end up burnout probably um, so just getting yeah, an, an idea around what my next five years are going to look like create a bit of a pathway for me you know see what's what's available what opportunities where I should be spending my time I think that's probably my next uncomfortable step because there's some awkward conversations to be had there you know do I want to go into senior leadership which means a massive time commitment and impacting my family do I want to go full-time with the business uh, because that's a massive risk financially as well things like that so um, that's that's probably the next big thing I need to think about mm. yeah and like this this conversation has been reasonably heavily strategy focused mm. as well so but do you have any other strategies that you use when you're approaching uncomfortable situations? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, Simon Sinek kind of made this whole idea a bit cliched with his video, you know, the, the circles and knowing your why. Mm. But I think that's, that's really important. Um, I read a book called The Way of the Seal, which introduced this concept of having your stand, which is kind of like, 
your true north and it's what you stand for it's your why why you do things and and my why is to take disciplined action to empower learners while prioritizing family or whanau um, excellence and hawata so hawata is your your basically your well-being so your mental and emotional your physical your your social um, and your spiritual so empowering learners while taking disciplined action to empower learners while prioritizing whānau excellence and, and hawata and what that is for me is anytime I have a decision coming up that needs to be made well I, I go back to my stand or, or my why and if that is gonna enhance that um, then I'm gonna do those things but if it's gonna detract from my why or my stand um, then I'm, I'm not going to do that because it's not going to serve me or the people I care about. So I think when you're looking at in terms of doing some of these things and getting uncomfortable, I think you really need to take some time to understand why you do what you do, what is your priority, what is your focus, because when you know that, when you really, really know that, um, every, every decision you make becomes really easy. So that's probably um, the biggest parting strategy around mm. doing things being uncomfortable, being successful is understand what your why is. Yeah, yeah, and I mean it's one thing that I was talking about with people last week is that it's all very well, it's well and good to have goals, but if you don't know why you have them, then they're just they're something that's reasonably fluffy and yep. and uh, might be pushing you in a direction that actually isn't the best one for you. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and if, if, if your listeners haven't seen the TED Talk by Simon Sinek, it, it mm-hmm. is really, really good talking about the what and, and the how and how that is really, really easy to comprehend, but then that why, well, why, you know, I think mm-hmm. that's really important. It is. Um, a couple of quick questions for you, but I just want to say thank you so much for, for taking the time to sit down and have this conversation with me today um, but also thank you for for all the work that you do and uh, the advice that you've given me along the journey um, but also the example that you that you give to a whole lot of other people out there in terms of empowering them to to do better and be better as well um, cheers bro thank you for that it's um it's you know i enjoy having these conversations and i've enjoyed watching your journey and um i think you've got bigger and better things coming mate so i can't Mm. wait to see that happen yeah i'm excited i'm excited uh if people are interested in finding out more about the stuff that you do um want to get in touch at all like where's the best how can they do that what's the best way to do it um oh gee probably probably the best place is, is twitter um, NZPE teacher is, is my Twitter handle um, I have a Facebook page for my podcast Augmented Learning um, those two platforms are, are probably the easiest to get hold of me um, or email carl at mystudyseries.co.nz which is the learning platform that um, I spend most of my time working on Yeah, cool man and do you have a challenge to leave me and the listeners with this week? a challenge yeah I, I, I think in, in terms of of a challenge and, and it's it's just a, it's a simple challenge it's just go out and do something you haven't done before I, yeah. I think we get caught up in the day to day of uh, you know your 9 to 5 your routines um, but 
I think it's really important and fun to be able to break those routines every now and then because most of us are creatures of habit um, and we just get by doing the same thing every single day mm. um, but by going out and doing something different like I'm talking completely different like uh, go for a surf if, you, if you've never surfed before um, because that's you know you go down the road and you hire a surfboard and a wetsuit and you know you're set up and ready to go in 20 minutes something like that something that um, is challenging something that's different that you haven't done before um, spend the holiday break uh, or the new year doing something um, that you haven't done before because you might learn something about yourself you might learn some skills that you didn't realize you had and you might find something that you're passionate about because doing something different, you're probably going to choose something that you're loosely aligned to and you, you might just learn something that could be quite fun and become a part of your life. That's an awesome challenge. Carl Condliff, thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with me today. Cheers, mate. Thank you. There you have it, team. I hope you really enjoyed that one. I had a great time talking with Carl. I've known him for, for quite a while now and actually going into this conversation it was it was really fascinating to hear some stories that I hadn't heard about him and, and things that I didn't know about him which yeah give me even more uh, more respect for him. We're coming up to the end of 2019 and it's been a great year for me, hopefully it's been a, a great year for you. There have been lots of uncomfortable moments as well and, and lots lots of uncomfortable times for me too there have been times that I've been able to learn a lot and um, kind of constantly refine how I do things and, and what I do and uh, and learn more about myself as well one thing that I am going to be doing at the start of 2020 is I'm going to be running some webinars uh, all about strategically identifying a challenge for yourself uh, and creating a plan of attack to to take on that challenge these are free webinars uh, if you that's something that you're interested in then drop me a line chris at chrisdesmond.nz uh, and i will make sure that i send you the links to them when those webinars are ready to go live uh, yeah so all about strategically identifying a challenge for yourself in 2020 and creating a plan of attack to tackle it Thank you as always, Jyland, for your awesome editing skills. Thank you to my brother Jeremy Desmond for the amazing theme music. And thank you to you guys for taking the time to get uncomfortable with Carl and I today. 